0: Welcome to the Mental Insights Podcast. This is your host, Brennan Catulli, and we're here today for episode number 16. And we have a great guest today by the name of Guy Ayakono. And Guy does a lot of work within two fields that are very important, being mental health and drug addiction. Guy is a licensed social worker, and he also created a community within drug addiction called the Clean Living Community, and that's available on social media and on the web as well. So we're going to really dive deep into two very important topics today that Guy has a lot of experience within and helping a lot of people today and helping bring a lot of positive light within their lives. So Guy, if you just want to introduce yourself and speak a little bit more about what you enjoy in your life today.
1: That sounds great. Yeah. First off, I want to thank you, Brendan, for having me on your podcast. I think what you're doing, you know, is fantastic in itself and I'm excited to be um, your 16th uh, interview on your podcast. Um, But as you mentioned, my name's Guy Iacono. I'm an LCSW uh, licensed clinical social worker. Uh, I work for a mental health nonprofit where we um provide mental health education presentations, you know, around the country for middle school, high school, and, and colleges. And um, in addition to that, I work in a private practice, and I'm the founder of the Clean Living Community, which, uh, as you mentioned, is a an online community where people, you know, share their um, experiences with their addiction and, and ultimately found recovery. Um, we have a website and an Instagram following of around 14,000 Uh, members, which is, which is awesome. And uh, I'm hoping in the future we'll, you know, successfully launch a mobile application that we've been working on and, um, you know, do some, some other great things as well.
0: That's so awesome, guy. I really look forward to seeing the the future of the clean living community. And you know, as we spoke about that mobile app, it's I think that is a it was a really good pushing point um, to reach a bigger audience and and really drive change in in such an important field. And I think, you know, first off, I I really just want to thank you for being here and the work that you do. I I think it's incredible that you work within to such important fields because right now we really need that work today because so many people are suffering. I was speaking with my friend earlier today and within mental health, the World World Health Organization provided that 800,000 people are committing suicide a year. And within drug addiction, I believe there's about 450,000 people a year that are dying due to an opioid Related death. So there's a lot of people that are struggling from these issues, and the work that you're doing is playing a a key and vital role into reducing those numbers. And I'm so thankful that you are here today to speak with me and share a little bit more about what you're doing today. So really to start off, I, I want to understand more about, you know, when did you first really become aware and interested within the mental health field? Because it's such a large topic, and unfortunately today there's not enough people, whether it's a social worker, a psychotherapist, or a counselor that that are in the field today so what what drove that change for you to want to be interested in that field?
1: Yeah, that's a great question um so I guess I first was introduced to like a a psychologist or a licensed clinical social worker when I was younger um, so addiction you know has uh impacted my family in a in a pretty significant way uh my mom's currently in recovery um other family members have struggled with with various addictions in in my lifetime and um when I was younger, I started seeing uh, a psychologist and you know they had profound impacts on me and they helped me in my own recovery um so i was i always I always appreciated what they did you know I was grateful for what they did and um I guess as I got older, around high school, um, my my high school and the surrounding high school, we were devastated by a suicide cluster. So unfortunately, I lost um, a lot of people close to me, very good friends in this suicide cluster. And it kind of rocked our area. Uh, I'm from New Jersey in a, you know, a small beach area. Um, So everyone kind of knew each other and um, we're a pretty close, you know, tight knit community. So when this was happening, it was just like extremely difficult for people, as you can imagine. Um, And with my experience, you know, growing up, seeing psychologists and um, personally benefiting and then realizing the need as I was in high school when people were unfortunately taking their lives and our community was just like, you know, unsure of what to do or how to proceed. uh, I would say that that really sparked my interest. So. In college, um, I actually started out as a business major. My dad is a, um, an entrepreneur and third-generation owner of his, of his business, um, and I thought, you know, maybe I would give it a shot. But after one semester, I just realized that I wasn't too interested in it. I didn't think it was for me at the time, and uh, I, I decided to switch over. So in, in undergraduate, I, uh, I switched to sociology and philosophy with a concentration in the Italian language. And, um, I just loved it. I love learning about social problems and and coming up with ways on how to contribute to, to find solutions or resolve certain issues that we face. Um, and then after that I returned home, decided to go to a a local university in in New Jersey and, um, completed my master's degree in social work in two years. Um, from there, I worked in a large hospital system in New Jersey uh, as a MICA counselor, mental illness, chemical addiction. So I treated clients who struggled with co-occurring disorders, and um, that ultimately led me to having the idea of starting the Clean Living Community and and having much larger goals and just you know practicing one-on-one with individuals.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Guy. I it's it's incredible to see that you went through these obstacles, and in turn, it created such a spark of, of passion for a field that you had deep-rooted connections in, and I think that's what I've been really starting to see within these two fields that people I've been connecting with truly do have some sort of first or third-hand experience with these issues, and they've realized how devastating they can be to a person or a family's life that they are so passionate in order for someone else to not go through that or for someone else to see the positive light at the end of the tunnel that they're so passionate that they wanted to jump in that field and to provide change and to work within that field and that's why I think it's so incredible to hear your own story because you know the the typical way or or the easy way at least for you was to go within your family business but you you were able to think and say, all right, no, this is not truly what I'm passionate about. And this is not what I I would enjoy doing every day. And it's it's incredible to see that the transition that you've made throughout, you know, the fields and even you started off with just within the mental health field, but now you've created the clean living community, which we'll speak about um, later within this, within this conversation. And it's it's truly remarkable to see that the way that someone especially yourself transitions throughout all of these fields to to make you know the impact that you do throughout so many people's lives and you know why don't you speak a little bit more just about um the work that you do as a social worker and maybe some of the activities that you do within the um programs that you do for some of the schools and some of the children that you work within today, because I think that's so important that you actively work throughout schools to speak about the importance of mental health, because I I do think that that should be a more prominent um, goal for a lot of society today, because a lot of schools aren't touching upon why mental health is so important and, and why it's such a a a big problem in in society today. So, why don't you speak about some of the work that you do within within those schools?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, uh, my full time role is is with the uh, organization, a nonprofit, as I mentioned before. Um, and the organization is, is Minding Your Mind. Um, so, they started uh, eleven years ago in um, you know the Villanova area of Pennsylvania, uh, and they've just been expanding ever since. Uh, so. I'm actually the director in New Jersey. We have an office in Boston as well, which is great. Um, And I know that you're, you know, up there in that area. Uh, So we provide mental health education presentations um, to middle schools, high schools, colleges, and even corporations. Uh, Our primary program is a a young adult speaker program where young adults um, share their life experience uh, with overcoming mental health adversities with a focus on, you know, finding their recovery and, um, and, and just improving their, their mental well Uh, so they go in there, they share their life experience with the goal of removing the stigma around mental health. And, uh, it's, it's an amazing organization. Um, each, after each presentation, you know, students come up, faculty come up and they, they hug, you know, the, the young adults, they thank them profusely. Um, some people even admit to the young adult that they might be speaking and in turn, they go to a school counselor or reach out to a psychologist or a social worker to start, um, you know, setting up appointments and, and scheduling sessions. So the idea is to encourage people to reach out when they need help and not wait until there's a crisis and starting mental health conversations early on. So not ignoring warning signs and all of this and I'm so happy to work for this organization full time because I know that it would have been such a benefit for, you know, me and and my friends through high school and the other communities that have been impacted by suicide and and family members and looking for warning signs and finding, you know, positive and healthy coping skills that are available to, you know, individuals no matter where they are or what kind of money they have.
0: That's great. I I love the work that that you guys provide, because I think what you do is by providing the young adults to share the story is so important because that's a, that's a huge way in order to reduce that stigma because oftentimes, at least for myself, when I was younger, I was always told from a, an older individual that, you know, these are issues that people do struggle with, but the, the barrier that is created through a young adult to an older adult, there you don't see that you go through the same experiences, or at least you don't think so, even if that adult did go through the, those experiences when they were younger. And I think that's why being a young adult, sharing that story is so important, because you can see that someone was going through the same steps that you are today. And whether they're only a few years older, it, it provides that much more you know opportunity to see that that there is an opportunity to to become better and to really recover from whatever type of mental health issue that you're going through so I really love that you guys provide that because I think storytelling through that way is is so valuable today and when you were speaking uh, originally about when you were getting into the mental health field, a lot of a lot of different causes can happen for someone to succumb to to one of these mental health issues. So, you know, some things, at least for a lot of people, can be some trauma or childhood experiences. But, you know, through your work and what you've experienced, w- what are some causes that you've seen of why someone will have a mental illness and, and what will cause that that dire shift of someone experiencing a negative thought pattern within their own life?
1: Yeah, that's, that's another great question. Um, So I wish that I could, you know, like pinpoint one precipitating factor or one, you know, um, main contributor to mental illness or those struggling with, you know, negative thought patterns or negative behaviors, but it's really a culmination or a combination of things. Uh, I could, it could be different for everyone. It could be unresolved trauma, excessive stress, lack of sleep, lack of social connection, um, distorted thinking, really, really anything. Um, You know, there's like a nature versus nurture argument. Um, But when you're able to work one-on-one with someone and understand the larger picture of, of their story, then you're able to narrow down what precipitating factors could be contributing to their own mental illness and that's when you come up you know as a clinician with a specific treatment plan for that individual because you know working with individuals um you can't have like a cookie cutter solution um you can't just take a blueprint from someone else and move it to another client right you have to understand that your client is an individual and extremely unique um, from every other individual that you've worked with. So there are, you know, obviously similarities as we're all human beings. Um, but understanding what, what motivates or makes one person tick versus another one, understanding what triggers there are and how to avoid them and how to cope with different um, stressors are all extremely important.
0: Totally. and And I think that therapy is something that, Everybody can benefit from whether they are struggling with a mental illness or they just need a a new perspective or a new path within their own life. And for anybody who's listening today, why don't you share about what really goes into the one-on-one process of being with uh, with a social worker, a therapist? You know, why don't you speak more about just how how that connection and how that environment can be so important to changing the way that that you live your life?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it it all really starts with rapport. Um, As you mentioned earlier, you know, why um, why the nonprofit that I work for, Minding Your Mind, is so impactful is that um, these young adults are able to connect with these young students, uh, help them, um, come to terms with things that they might be struggling with or letting them know that, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And and that all comes from relativity, right? Because you have a young adult, someone who's not much older than the students in the audience, explaining an experience that they had in their life and giving them hope, right? So you could kind of take that and and kind of mirror it in therapy. You want to be able to establish rapport or, or you know, a nice relationship between the therapist and the client, because without that rapport, without that camaraderie or chemistry, it's going to be hard for the client to trust in the therapist. And unfortunately, I think um, a lot of times individuals will try therapy because they're struggling with something and they go in and After the first session, you know, they say like, Oh, therapy is not for me. I wasn't able to connect with a therapist or, you know, for whatever reason they're gonna really appreciate the session or maybe even the therapist, right? But it's important to not give up on therapy after just seeing one therapist, psychologist or social worker, whatever it may be. Because I like to say that therapy is like dating. Um, you know, you don't often wind up with the first the very first person that you dated. It's about, you know, finding people that are similar to you or someone that you could connect with. I'm feeling comfortable in that situation. And if you're not comfortable with one therapist, it's important to move on to another one, someone that you could actually share and open up with. Um, when you get into therapy, it's, you know, there's going to be a lot of background information shared. The therapist is really going to want to learn about your history, your family history. Um, learn as much about you as an individual as possible. And then, Learn what, what you're struggling with or what you want to improve on in your life. And then I like to think of, of it as like a, com- a collaborative effort, right? The therapist and the client are going to come to come up with goals together and work on things together to improve that individual's life. So it's not really a dictatorship or, you know, a therapist telling the client what to do. It's more of like a collaboration where they're agreeing on like a treatment plan. They're agreeing on what they want to improve because it's important. It's the most important thing is that the client agrees with and is active in their recovery. Otherwise the therapist could be kind of spinning wheels and the client's not going to be actively working on anything and that therapy isn't going to last very long. Right.
0: Definitely. I, I love, I love multiple perspectives that you just offered. The, the first being that, if you ha- do see a therapist and it doesn't work out on the first try, it's it's like dating. I love that. I love that comparison because I know a lot of people that have gone into therapy and say, "All right, this therapist is not for me." But I've I've tried to correlate it as you know maybe that's just not the right one. Maybe that therapy isn't the right one. And I really like that comparison because it's so important not to give up after that first try or even that second try because there definitely is a way to incorporate learning within whatever type of trauma or experience you went through, but it's finding the right one that's best for what you're going through and what you want to really get out of that situation. And the second one being that it has to be a two-way street. So not only does the, is the therapist going to be there working with you, but you as the individual seeking that therapy, you need to be giving that effort as well as you go throughout those sessions because a lot of people do expect to just walk into therapy and say, all right, the therapist is going to give me the answers and I'm going to be done. I'm going to be completely done and I'm going to understand what my problem is and I'm going to know the answer and within three to five sessions, my life will be better. And I don't think that's the right way to look at it because for me, I think it's an ongoing process that, you know, you have to work within your own skills, abilities, thoughts, actions throughout each week. And if you're not actively developing them at all times, you know, it's going to take a while for you to to go through this process and, and understand more of who you are, who you want to be, and, and where you want to be in the future. So I really love those two perspectives that uh, you shared because... I think a lot of people have these misconceptions about therapy and what they expect, what, what they want to get out of it. And, and it's so important that you have the awareness going into therapy of, you know, what, what do you want to seek out of this? And, and not, not all the times it's going to be a quick fix, you know, you have to work at it and you have to itch at it, which I think is such an important um, topic.
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know, uh, it's important, you know, as you mentioned, to set realistic expectations for therapy in terms of, you know, it's more than just showing up and, and you know, therapy is difficult in itself. So getting yourself there, you know, to the office or wherever you might be, you know, your counselor, your therapist is is a great victory in itself. But once you get there, you have to expect and understand that you have to put in work. It's a difficult process. And as you mentioned, it's not going to change your life in three sessions right it's a process like you said and i think unfortunately we live in like a very silver bullet or quick fix society where you know people who might be struggling for some time go to a general practitioner or like you know a doctor and say you know give me this antidepressant that i saw on the commercial and um that's that's pretty dangerous uh because they think that by taking a pill they're just going to feel better but it, you need therapy if you're on a medication for mental health because you, it, it all starts with cognition. You need to change your thought process. You need to change behaviors and actions in your everyday life and incorporate different coping skills, different coping strategies. And it it's a holistic approach, right? You can't just expect like a snap of a finger or swallowing an antidepressant or a psychotropic medication to, you know, change your life. You need to actively put in the work. And that goes back to what we were talking about with, with what to expect in therapy and setting real expectations and goals with your therapist.
0: Definitely. I, that, that's such an important piece. And I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was speaking about um, that topic um, on a, an earlier occasion with a friend. And that being that you can't just take uh, antidepressant, you know, this medication that a doctor will prescribe for you and not do anything else. you know you still have to actively work upon you know your nutrition, your exercise, you know the way that you're thinking, the way that you behave it's it's all it's all going together and just just like you were saying, just taking and swallowing that pill is not going to fix all your problems. You have to work through it, and I think that's what something really helped me to understand is you know the lifestyle that you live is so drastically important to your own mental health and it's focusing on you know what's most important to you in the day and i think you know different types of routines or habits are so important and like a lot of things that i've tried to focus on is like nutrition exercise meditation is a huge thing and journaling as well those have been really key components to keeping myself, you know, mentally healthy, mentally well. And I think if I wasn't doing that, I'd be back in the position that I was, you know, five, 10 years ago where I was severely depressed and, and I didn't want to live anymore. So the, the concept that people think that nutrition and exercise isn't as impactful as it is, is, is totally wrong because a few lifestyle changes can drastically change the way that you feel and live your life today. So I'm I'm so happy that you brought that up because you can't just take medication to survive and get better. It's it's a combination of, you know, if you do have that chemical imbalance, okay, you may need that antidepressant through evaluation, but as well, you need to seek therapy, you need to change something within your lifestyle to to seek out a better life and I think this this really correlates to what we were speaking about originally is, you know, I I think mental health and drug addiction do have a a very close comparison and they do go hand in hand, at least for myself when I was younger. When I was struggling with my own mental health, my resort was to drugs and alcohol because whether it was peer pressure, but as well as because I was trying to make myself feel better and trying to really suppress a lot of the pain and the trauma that I experienced when I was younger. And I thought that was the answer. And I wasn't putting myself in the right environment in that situation. And through that, I was experiencing, you know, two different problems. I was experiencing mental health issues, along with starting to become addicted to, you know, rapidly taking pills whenever I wanted to, to suppress this pain. And I think this is a great uh, lead into speaking about the living, the clean living community, because what you're able to create through this online platform is so important. And why don't you share a little bit more about the spark to create that, as well as what the clean living community offers today?
1: Absolutely. Um, and and let me just say, you know, I'm I'm so grateful and and happy to hear that you know you found your recovery and you were able to work on these things and and change your life and now you're here with this great podcast and, um, the community that you're establishing, I think is, it's great. Um, it's a testament to, you know, what recovery looks like for, um, or what recovery can look like for people who, who might be struggling. Um, but I started with the clean living community. Um, originally it was a concept for a mobile application. And, um, unfortunately when you, you know, are working in this field, uh, you're not really setting the world on fire with salary. Um, most often, you know, you're not, you're not making the same amount of money that, you know, maybe like a financial advisor or investment banker or something along those lines would be uh, making. So um, I, I was struggling to get the mobile application, you know, off the ground with development and, and all of that stuff. Um But I kept seeing these patterns play out when I was you know treating different individuals. as you mentioned, there's a extremely high comorbidity rate between uh, mental illness and chemical addiction, and that's why I was, as I mentioned, a mica counselor um, working with co-occurring disorders uh, because a lot of the time, you know, like you said, you have an individual who might be struggling with their mental health and they're using um, you know different substances or. Behaviors to mask their pain or um, try to get past their suffering by using either drugs, alcohol or um, gambling or sex or whatever it may be, right? Um, so I created the, the Instagram community to find and inspire, and motivate and, and, sh- and share some hope that there's another side to the struggle and um, bringing people together. And I think that social media you know, is is truly a double-edged sword. You know, you could get lost on there. And you could um, find yourself in some bad ways with isolation and and all of these negative things that could come out of it and cyberbullying and all that. But there's all social media could also be a fantastic tool where you could bring people together with a common cause. And I found that by starting the clean living community, there's a ton of people out there that want help. There's a ton of people out there that want to share their story and bond over something, you know, their recovery. So with that, I created um, the website where I share individuals' recovery stories um, in an interview format. So I I walk them through questions, you know, similar to your podcast about their experience with addiction, um, their experience in their recovery, and, and ultimately how they found it. And it's all about spreading hope and again, removing stigma around mental health and and addiction because so many people are struggling. And I think, you know, we've gone pretty far as a society in terms of understanding that mental illness and addiction aren't moral failings, right? They're, these aren't things that you could blame people for. Um, people struggle for different reasons and they might find themselves down on their luck and they might do some self-destructive behaviors, but it's not something that we should blame them for. We should, we should help them. And I think we've gone pretty far with, you know, celebrities like Michael Phelps or logic coming out and speaking out about their mental health, about their mental illness and about suicide and recovery with Demi Lovato. And, um, who's the guy, Tony Stark from Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. So like, you know, all these people with, a pretty significant platform, all these celebrities that people look up to and, are, and enjoy and appreciate their art, when they're using their platform and their clout to speak about, you know, stigma and their personal experiences, it, it goes a really long way. And I think that we're trending in the right direction, but we still have a very significant amount of place, uh, a significant amount of uh, distance to go. But um, social media just helps kind of echo, you know, both positive and negative things, unfortunately. Um, But it could be a great platform for establishing a community. And that's what, you know, I've been able to do with the clean living community thus far.
0: That's awesome. I I think it's so important. And it definitely is a double edged sword. But if I think what's most important is, if you are trying to, you know, change the, the thought process and patterns throughout your own life and and really seek out that positivity. All you have to do, which I've tried to uh, have people around myself focus on is only follow the people that are that are putting out content that that's going to either motivate you, inspire you, or provide some some sort of learning curve or benefit within your own life. I think, you know, that that other side of it is when you just see people who are living this grand old life. And you start comparing yourself to them and that's where a lot of these downfalls go. And yes, I think you still can follow those people but that's where a lot of that negativity that self doubt really starts to come into play, which I think if you start to focus on following communities like the clean living community. And start to understand, you know, what people are doing today, how people are sharing their stories and, and where you can provide benefit and positivity within your own life is so important. And I think it's so important that you try to uncover people's stories through, through that interview process. And I think interviewing is is such a, such an impactful tool today where you can share stories and as well connect and converse with people that may have the same experiences or may have an experience that you've never heard of, but will still provide some sort of clarity or some sort of, um, you know, benefit and, and learning ability to compare to your own life. So why don't you speak about you know what actually inspired you to want to do the interview process, and and why it's so helpful um, for your community to to share these stories and and offer what people are experiencing throughout their own recovery process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said, you know, like I agree, um, interviews are extremely impactful, and I, and the reason I think so uh, is because. it's it's super easy to look at someone else and label them as other, right? Um, You could look at someone who might be struggling with their mental health or who might be struggling with, you know, addiction and just say, like, oh, you know, look at this person and start, you know, talking down on them or or seeing reasons why you're so different from them and why you could never wind up in that situation and you're in turn stigmatizing, you know, addiction and, and mental health and mental illness. And then, in turn, you know, if you find yourself in that situation, it's going to be, you know, all coming back to you in terms of how you're thinking about the situation, and it's really not good for the people around you or yourself, right? So, with with interviews, you're able to understand that these people who might be struggling are just like you, whether you are struggling with addiction um, or you're not, and you could learn a lot about, you know, the the recovery process and addiction. If you are addicted to something, or if you've never heard of, you know, like, or understand what addiction is, right? So, for people who are in the recovery process already, abstaining from their addictive behaviors, whether that's substance or, you know, gambling or sex or whatever it may be, it's um, it's a great tool for maintenance, right? It's a great tool for abstinence maintenance to read other people's success and to remind yourself how far you've come by reading someone else's story or if you're on the other side of the spectrum and you're and you're just contemplating, you know, stop stopping using drugs or or alcohol or whatever it may be and you read this story about an individual who's similar enough to you who might have a similar story and you're able to connect with that story then that's just a little carrot that you could chase to get to, you know, the point where you're reaching out for help, or you're starting the process of recovery, right? Um, addiction, I think, just knocks down walls that we put up around ourselves and others to distance ourselves from, you know, these social problems, mental illness, mental health, um, addiction. Sometimes people don't want to see them for what they are, you know, that they're just people like us that are that are struggling in the moment, and it's easy to just kind of write them off, right? But interviews tell a true story of who the person is and how they got there. And then ultimately uh, they found recovery, which is inspiring and motivating in itself.
0: Definitely. I, I completely agree. And I, th- what really I think is important to speak about, you know, you, you, you talked about if you are going through that recovery process or if you're not. And for, for someone that, is listening, or for someone that has people around them that are struggling. I, I spoke about with my good friend Matt Ray, who I posted uh, his interview today about some tendencies that he had because he was struggling with addiction, um, and he was a good friend of mine who we ended up leading into different paths where I was able to seek a a positive outlet and response to you know ending my my short addiction with, you know, pills and opioids, but he ended up becoming addicted to heroin. And he spoke about some of the tendencies, how, you know, he was able to notice as he was an addict through that process. But for, for anybody that is listening and from what you've been able to experience throughout people around you, you know, how can someone necessarily identify if they are abusing drugs or even how can someone identify that they do need to seek help? Because I think it's very hard, especially within mental health too, within both of these fields, there's a factor of knowing that you need the help, but actually going to seek the help. So why don't you speak about kind of that transition process of someone actively knowing and deciding that they they want to seek that help, knowing that they are abusing and, and um, becoming addicted to to drugs.
1: Absolutely. Um, so I think that there's a big misconception that people have to wait until they're at rock bottom or a place where there's nowhere else to go, um, but to reach out for help. You know, whether or not you're in that life, life or death situation, um, where you've exhausted all their options. That I guess that's what you know you could consider rock bottom, but you don't have to wait for rock bottom. And and that's a really important, um, thing to take note of in this conversation, you know, for anyone who's listening that if there are warning signs to act on the warning signs to reach out for help before it reaches a point where it's literally life or death. Right. So if, if your drug use or if your, um, addictive behavior starts interfering with your everyday life or impeding your ability to, um, You know, live a normal life or complete tasks that you were once able to complete or potentially even excel at. Then that, those are, you know, significant warning signs when you find yourself, um, using or going to that addictive behavior just to maintain an everyday basis or just to maintain some baseline. Then that, then you're, you're using that addictive behavior as a crutch, right? And then that crutch eventually becomes something that you're living for so the thing that you need or the thing that you choose to help or assist in your you know baseline feeling eventually becomes your baseline feeling and then without it you're not you're not able to function so that's when you see a real you know transformation from um you know heavy recreational use to you know serious addiction
0: definitely I, i'm i'm glad you brought up that topic cuz it's it's true and i think you know that's when a lot of people once they start you know especially when you're uh, a young adult today when kids start you know transitioning into using drugs and alcohol and when they you know see pot and alcohol as as these you know not not as harmful drugs compared to the opioids and such so they start off with these but when some people do gain that dependency like you said you know it's it's getting they they reach that baseline and then they always need to seek out something that's going to continue to improve that suppression and that you know that downfall um within the way that they feel about themselves which i'm so glad you you touched on because it it really it can start anywhere and A lot of people don't become aware that they're abusing these, um, you know, substances as they move on within their life. And sure enough, within a year or two, you could be abusing very harmful drugs. And at that point, if you're not aware of it, you know, you can lead to a lot of these statistical numbers that we have spoken about recently of people dying from these harmful drugs. I mean, within heroin, there's, they've become laced with fentanyl, with extremely powerful drugs that should not be out there on the streets and it's it's truly saddening to see that it's happening to not only young kids today but but everybody all all ages are experiencing these these negative negative patterns throughout drug use and it's it's truly it's it's very eye opening but I think you know creating this conversation and and speaking about it is is one step in in the forward direction, which which I think is so important. And you spoke about some of the causes of why someone might be abusing substances. One being you know their mental health, but is there any other causes um, that someone may succumb to using drugs as an outlet for you know suppression of emotions and such? You know, why don't you speak more about? why someone would, would lead themselves to these, uh, these type of substances.
1: Definitely, yeah. And I'd just like to say, you know, addiction doesn't discriminate. And you mentioned, you know, people of all ages are, you know, finding themselves addicted or even overdosing, right? Well, people across, you know, um, different economic like demographics are also becoming addicted and, and um, unfortunately falling victim to this epidemic that we're, we're experiencing. Um, so it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, what kind of money you have, um, where you live, uh, you could easily become addicted just like anyone else. Right. So it's, it's important to understand that, um, becoming addicted is, is almost like a process, right? The same way recovery is a process. So, um, use is going to increase and then tolerance is going to um, increase as well. So that means that you're going to have to use more and, and more frequently. And that's when you start to see yourself become um, addicted to something, right? Uh, so the same way that people become addicted, they have to work backwards to recover. Um, and recovery is, is as much a process as um, addiction is. So we have to be patient when we're recovering and when we're working on ourselves through the recovery process, because as we mentioned before, you know, when you go into a therapy session where you're seeing a therapist, you know, you're not going to be completely fixed in three to five sessions, right? I mean, it's it's a process. Everything is a process. And, you know, like a nice saying is, you know, Rome wasn't built in one day. So, you know, it took, it took some sort of behavior and regular, you know, use of whatever your addictive behavior was. Or substance um, to get to that point, and it's going to take, you know, equal, if not more, to get back to um, a baseline of recovery, if that makes sense. Um, And in terms of the question, can you repeat that?
0: Um. So other other causes of drug addiction today. So, you know, one being you said, uh, mental health, mental illness, you know, some things that I've understood is a lot of people with trauma or, or some negative experiences within their life. Then lead to drug addiction. So, what are what are some causes that you've seen um, people, you know, leading to drugs? Obviously, there's peer pressure too. Um, but but what are some instances that I that are some main um, main causes for uh, someone succumbing to to substances today?
1: Sure. So, I think um, you know, underlying mental health issues or mental illness uh, have an ex- is an extreme contributor to substance abuse or, or, you know, finding people or people finding themselves um, struggling with addiction, um, past trauma, unresolved trauma, excessive stress, you know, people say like taking the edge off, um, having a super stressful day and coming home and saying you need that glass of wine, you need to smoke that joint, whatever it may be to relax instead of finding a healthy coping skill like, you know, going for a run, playing or listening to music. Some form of meditation or mindfulness, something that isn't, you know, directly changing your brain chemistry or um, going to that um, addictive behavior, whether that's like sex or gambling or whatever it may be, right? Um, Finding ways to, you know, deal with the stress in a a healthy way, as opposed to just reaching for something that's going to give you an an instant gratification of um, changing your chemistry or um, relieving the stress immediately. It's going to take a little bit of work, um, but uh, social isolation, loneliness, boredom, these are all, you know, major contributors to drug use and then also contributors to relapse. So when you find yourself in in the recovery process, when you're in recovery and you're abstaining from, you know, your your drug of choice or your addictive behavior, understanding that you need to now fill your time that you were once using or or fill the void of of boredom and your new lifestyle with you know healthy activities um, positive relationships, healthy relationships, whatever it may be um, to help you you know stay on that that path of recovery
0: definitely I think those are those are great examples because there's there's so many different ways that someone can can lead themselves to A life um, filled with substances, but I love the point that you made that, you know, it's, it's creating that self awareness that when you get home, when you either have a stressful day, or when that negative experience comes back to your mind, or, or so forth, you're able to say no, I, I don't need that substance. What I do need is that run. I need that meditation session. I need that that meal. I need to go seek um, some social interaction. I, I love that you pointed that out because that, that's the big drawing line, I think, for a lot of people. There's the easy way that someone can take, especially even for mental health, for instance. like Suicide, that's always the easy way out. But the more formidable, the harder road, yes, is to stay alive and, and face face the issues, but the what what you're gonna seek and gain out of out of staying alive and focusing on improving your own self and your mental health is is insurmountable. It's 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 so life changing because there is there is a route out there and, and I think that's a big determination with you know you're sitting there and saying oh do I use this substance or do I go for a run? Or do I go hang out with my friends? Do I go see a movie? You know, there's there's that fine line between the easy and the hard road. And oftentimes, you know, you see it today, people a lot of times choose that easy road. But we need to start showing that that hard road, there's a lot of positives that come out of it. And there's a lot of truly life-changing benefits that you receive And I think that's why, you know, social media is great because a lot of people are sharing their experiences and saying, I was here. I was down in the depths of my own mind and a substance, but look at where I am today. Look at where I was able to come to and what I was able to overcome. And I think that's what's able to provide a lot of people inspiration and a lot of people the choice to say, you know what? I'm not going to use that substance today. I'm not going to kill myself today. I'm gonna take the hard road. I, I wanna lead myself in into a new direction and a new path. And I think that's why, you know, the the recovery and that whole community is, is so important and valuable for someone to see because it's tangible evidence that someone has gone through it and, and you can join them as well on that road. So I think that's that's so important. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that, that deciding factor of you know, yes or no, what's best for me. Often people don't have the ability to make that choice correctly. And it's, it's whether it's working through a therapist or, you know, seeing other people's experiences, it it allows for them to see which road is, is truly best for their own life.
1: Definitely. and And it's important to work on, you know, that impulse control of simply because you have a a desire or an urge or a craving to, you know, do something to engage in that addictive behavior um, that you don't have to play it out. So the impulse control of, um, you know, allowing, allowing that craving and that urge to come and go and not act on it. And then also the ability to play the tape out. So consequence evaluation, you know, if I engage in this behavior, if I pick up and news or if I, you know, go to the casino and, and gamble, what is going to happen? How am I going to feel afterwards? What are the consequences for my actions in this moment? And those are things that we, see, um, you know, individuals who are struggling with addiction, uh, really, really battle with. They're, they're unable to maintain that impulse control. They're, they're unable to play the tape out and, and understand that it might make you feel better in that split second, but down the road afterwards, it's going to make you feel worse. And the, and then those feelings of guilt and shame, which exacerbate the addiction cycle are going to return. Um, it's important to understand all of this stuff. And it might be, you know, difficult to pick up the phone and call someone who, you know, is your sponsor or someone who's helped you along the way, or um, it might be difficult to get your sneakers on and go for a run in that moment. But as hard it is, as hard as it is to get yourself to that point, It'll make you feel that much better after you do it, right? So it's about understanding that instead of getting that instant gratification, you know, gratification in that moment, that the gratification that will come from, you know, exercising or reaching out to someone who knows you and understands your struggle will be that much more significant and and help you so much in your recovery. And the more you do that stuff, the easier it is. So that's the way you form, you know, positive habits and positive coping skills that you have in your tool belt, no matter where you are or where you know, who you are.
0: Exactly. I love that perspective. That was that was such a great uh topic to to speak upon because it's it's so important to create those positive habits because they they create in turn a, a new light for you to see your own self and to appreciate your own life and this then in turn you know speaks about a lot of the relationships like you said being able to pick up your phone and call your friend or you know to call your sponsor is that that one step right there is so so valuable because you took a courageous step moving forward and you didn't not pick up that phone and you didn't say all right no they don't want to speak with me or i don't need to speak with them because i don't need that help so i think the importance of relationships is is of very valuable because what you really surround yourself with dictates a lot of how you live your own life. For me, when I was younger, I surrounded myself with a lot of people that did not really seek the best interest for my own good and they really led me into a path that wasn't wasn't best. So, you know, why don't you speak about the importance of relationships within not only drug addiction and those people who are going through recovery? But as well, mental health, because, you know, having these positive habits and routines of, you know, having a friend that you can go for a run with or having a friend that you could cook a meal with can provide so much value within your own life. So, you know, why don't you speak about how relationships can dictate whether you're able to fully go through recovery or, you know, how they can bring you into a into a even more negative place um, than you were before.
1: Sure. Um, so social connection is extremely important for humans. You know, human beings are social beings. You know, we're, we're similar to pack animals we need socialization and when we're struggling is when we're most vulnerable. So, um, the same way, you know, you mentioned, you know, potentially going with the wrong crowd and, you know, doing things that weren't in your best interest. Um, you know, when you're struggling with addiction, um, it's important to understand who are the people and where are the places and what are the things that you guys are doing. So in recovery, people, places, and things are three concepts that we, you know, discuss all the time, right? So who are the people that you're with? What are they doing and where are you guys going? Like what is the goal of the community that you're putting yourself into is are the group of your, are your friends, you know, like just looking to, get high or engaging in these activities that you're now addicted to, um, because that is the sole purpose of, of what your relationship is. Right. I mean, there's so, it so often am I with someone in a session where they say like, Oh, my friends, you know, they're not going to want to hang out with me because I'm not going to be, you know, using drugs or I'm not going to want to gamble or, um, engage in any of these like other addictive behaviors. Um, And at the end of the day, like, are they really your friends or are they just like the people that you're running with and running? I mean, like, you know, engaging in those unhealthy behaviors, the ones that you're trying to avoid. Right. So simply because you're with them when you're using doesn't mean that they're your friends. because at the end of the day, your friends should have your best interests at heart. Right. They should want what's best for you. And unfortunately, when you're struggling with addiction, um, all those best interests kind of go out the window, and you're only focusing on um, how to get back that high, whether that's through substance or um, you know another behavior. So social connection on the other side is extremely important as well, where you're you're surrounding yourself with support, whether that's family, whether that's friends, whether that's just a clinician at first, right, a psychologist or a therapist, someone who does have your best interest, someone who's going to help you get through those times where you're struggling and, and remind you, you know, you don't have to pick up or you don't have to engage in this behavior to feel better. And even though in that split second, in that one moment it might feel better, it's gonna make you feel way worse afterwards, right? So having a having a community of people who share your interests, whether that's running, photography, cooking, eating, um, going to the movies, it literally could be anything is extremely important. Finding people who are like you and don't only want to engage in those unhealthy behaviors um, goes a long way, right? So when you find a recovery, it really is uh, a transformative process. You need to transform your life. You need to find new friends, find new social circles, find new places to go, avoid the places and the things that you were once doing because those things could all in turn become triggers and we want to avoid as many triggers as possible.
0: Absolutely, Guy. I, I love that answer. And there's so many different ways of how relationships can impact our own life. And it's really about evaluating what people around us are doing and how they're influencing our own thoughts and actions and becoming aware of, are they a positive relationship or are they a negative relationship within our own life? and I think evaluating what people really bring to the table and especially what you are offering to your friends as well is so important because there, there has to be a two-way street in, in order for you both to gain value from your relationship and make sure that you are both helping each other to you know overcome any obstacles you have, but as well just in, enjoy your activities, your routines your life together and and make sure that there's value in both of your own lives together. So I, I just want to thank you first off for being here today. I have one more question, but I, I really want to provide um, some, some gratitude towards you being here today, towards the work that you do. I think what you do is truly commendable and it, it offers such a great perspective in terms of you are a a living example of you experienced something at at a young age and you in turn took your obstacles and flipped the perspective. And now you're helping people go through similar experiences and similar issues that you saw cause harm to people and yourself while you were younger. So I, I really want to thank you for the work that you do, and as well for being on this podcast today because it was such a pleasure interviewing you and sharing more about the work that you do. And I really look forward to continuing this connection further because I think we have a lot in line in terms of the work that we do, in terms of our goals in the future, and there's there's a lot more growth and and value that we could provide within these two fields because Like we were saying earlier, you know, there's still so many people struggling from these issues and we definitely do have a lot of work to do, but we are getting the ground running today and what we're able to already provide for people going through these experiences is extremely valuable and important for what we're doing. So I really just want to thank you for being on this podcast, Guy. Um, It's really been a pleasure thus far.
1: Oh, thank you. I, I, again, like, I want to thank you because what you're doing is amazing as well. And it's awesome to hear, you know, your recovery story and, and your friend's recovery story because it just, um, reiterates the notion that, uh, you know, recovery is possible, whether that's, um, addiction recovery or, or mental health and, and well-being recovery. Um, and the fact that you have, you know, people like me on your podcast and and you're continuing to spread the good word is amazing in itself. And uh, I want to thank you in turn for having me on and and for doing what you do as well.
0: Wonderful. You, you are so welcome guy. It's been a pleasure. And for my last question, I I really like to ask my guests uh, a, a question that, that may put them on their toes a bit, but I think it's truly important to understand and reflect upon what you are going through outside of your work today. So my question is revolved around you writing a book throughout your life thus far to your day. And the question that I want to ask is there's going to be one chapter that is going to be revolved around the past year or two of your life. And I want you to give some insight in terms of what necessarily was a topic or a theme or a lesson that you've been able to uncover that was of, of great value and of great, um, you know, substance that that provided a, a new perspective or a new uh, mindset change throughout your own life, whether it's positive or negative, you know, give us a little insight about what you've been able to learn and uncover from your own experiences, whether it's within your field of work or within its within your own personal and self discovery.
1: Uh yeah, that, that's a that's another great question. That one definitely puts me on my toes. Um, I would say, you know, if there was like one chapter, maybe I would title it uh, perseverance. I guess just because as you continue to go, you know on your path and and work towards things just remembering not to give up whether that's personally or professionally uh doing whatever you're doing just as long as it's something that's bringing you joy and um is is benefiting you and others then you preserve you persevere and you continue on that on that path because no matter where you are as long as you continue to go and explore and continue to learn and meet new people, new and, and better opportunities will come. So, um, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity, um, to work for, you know, the organization that I'm working for full-time Minding Your Mind. And I, it's something that I never would have considered myself doing, um, working in a private practice and being able to help and work with individual clients on a regular basis is, um, you know, a goal that I set for myself years ago, and I wasn't ever sure it would really come to fruition. And just being where I'm at, and who I am, you know, on this day to this day is, uh, I think just all about perseverance and, and, you know, continuing on that path. And no matter how many obstacles come in your way, continuing to either jump over them, go through them, or move around them some way, and persevere on your goal, toward your goal. And, and on your mission because as you persevere and as you progress uh, new people will come into your life who could help you and you in turn could help them and um, just not losing sight uh, of of who you are and what your goals are and what you want out of life and what you want out of you know different objectives that you're potentially working on just uh, keep going and if you're struggling just make sure you know you you know that it's okay to reach out and there are people who are willing to help and there are people doing great work in this, in this world and in this life.
0: That's awesome guy. I love that response. And I think that definitely speaks to who you are and what you've been able to do this far. And I think what you are going to continue to do within the future. So I'm so happy to hear that. And it it really was such an honor to have you on my podcast today, you were the sixteenth episode of the Mental Insights podcast, and it was it was such a wonderful uh, pleasure to speak and share your story. We're going to have all the links to your work, to your social media, to your website and allow the audience to see more about your work and to get in touch with you to you know, share their own stories for anybody who's listening who has experienced these issues or for someone that may uh, be facing one of these issues throughout their day to day, that they can reach out to you and gain some more um, insight and value to how they can move forward within their own challenges within their life. So. It's, it's a pleasure, Guy, and I really look forward to sharing all of your work with everybody. It, it was such a great interview. I, I love that we were able to do this, so thank you again.
1: Thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity, and it was, uh, it was awesome hearing your story and speaking with you. I appreciate you know, the opportunity you've given me to, to share about myself and my work, and I hope, um, in turn, I could do the same.